We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game betting odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. We're reacting to week three action and talking deep stats on Rotoviz Radio. What's up, Rotoviz? Welcome in to the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. I'm Curtis Patrick alongside Dave Cabin. We're two of the owners here at Rotoviz. Before we talk about what we're going to talk about in this episode, I just want to remind all of you if you've stumbled onto this podcast and you're like, what is Rotoviz? Or maybe you just listen to us and you're like, these guys talk about some great articles. They talk about some other great analysts. I love all these statistical analyses. I want to find out more. Well, you can use code RVRADIO2021 and save 10% on a 12-month subscription to Rotovis. That's going to take you through the rest of the 2021 season. All the win the waiver wire stuff from Sam Wallace, all of Sean and Dave and Blair's deep uh, analytics that can help you win your league, my Dynasty Command Center uh, strategic notes. It's all of that and so much more. Uh, And it's going to take you through draft season next year if you subscribe today. So check that out, RV Radio 2021 at checkout on a 12-month subscription, and you're going to save 10%. So on Tuesday's episode, we talked about Kareem Hunt on my brownies and some of the advanced stats. Uh, Dave mentioned and uh, noted very aptly that Kareem Hunt has pulled even with Nick Chubb in some of the uh, missed tackles or you know evasion metrics. And one thing that's really cool uh, that I appreciate about our site is that we're always trying to find more ways to analyze what's happening um, on the gridiron and then also translate into, you know, what's the practical application for fantasy. And so the second show each week this season, we've really been looking at some of those deep analytics and Dave is going to help us cut up what's been happening at the running back position. So Dave, I'm tossing you the mic, man. What are you seeing at the quarter pole point of the season? Well, 
It's pretty interesting, Curtis, when you look at the leaderboard uh, in the advanced running back metrics, if you sort on evasion percentage, now the, the leader in this had a very good game last night. I do not have his charted stats available yet. Those normally have a little bit of a, like a day delay. So I'm waiting for them to come in, but Austin Eckler was absolutely crushing it, had an evasion percentage of 31%. Now evasion percentage blends broken tackles and missed tackles. That means that 31% of the time that Austin Eckler was receiving a rush, he was breaking a tackle or forcing a missed tackle, which is pretty insane. We saw that manifest last night, a lot of nice plays for Austin Eckler. But as I mentioned, Kareem Hunt has been tearing things up. He actually comes in at number two now with the addition of week four in evasion percentage with 23%. Um, I'm going to get back to Kareem Hunt in a second and how he's absolutely killing it, but I'm sure people are kind of interested to know the rest of the leaderboard here. Behind Hunt, we have Joe Mixon, Javante Williams, a very, very interesting name uh, to see him now popping in these metrics. Heading into the season, there was so much discussion about him controlling the back half and the possibilities with him as a breakout running back to help out these zero running back teams make their push over the goal line in the end of the season. So it's exciting to see Williams there. Um, he's really doing a lot of his work by breaking tackles. Just 4% on missed tackles, but closer to 152 with the broken tackle percentage. Interestingly, 61% of his yards are coming after contact, which is good because he's getting 1.6 yards per contact, or excuse me, before contact per rush, which isn't awful, but it's not, you know, the, the, the strongest amount that you're going to see. So that's good for Williams. Behind Williams and evasion percentage, we have Dalvin Cook, Antonio Gibson, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Jonathan Taylor, Devin Singletary, Lennon Fournette, Saquon Barkley, David Montgomery. So it's interesting to see a lot of the very good running backs in the league getting into this into this list with guys like Dalvin Cook, guys like Jonathan Taylor. Now, I want to pause a moment here on Edwards Alaire, who we've talked about now the last couple of weeks. It's nice to see him scoring well in a metric like this. We've seen him come to life the last two weeks. And another interesting thing for CEH that bodes well for him is his hit at the line percentage. So the number of rushes in which he's hit right away is only 17%. And why this is great is because if the jury is out on how good of a runner Edwards-Alaire really is, when you're getting hit at that rate, which is about 23% lower than most of the other guys on the list, that sets you up to be able to do well. So this is why we, this or this speaks to what we normally see in the league where the team that the running back is playing on can often be more important than the actual running back. So that's another thing that is a positive sign for him following his last couple of performances. Uh, but to bring it back to Kareem Hunt, 3.9 yards after contact, the most of any player puts him ahead of Chubb, as we talked about, who's at 3.4. As a point of reference, the players behind them that score the highest, you have David Montgomery at 3.2, and then um, Austin Eckler at 2.7. So that just speaks to 
the way in which Cleveland is operating. That running game is pretty ridiculous, Curtis, as I'm sure you've noticed. And there, <laughs> Kareem Hunt, yards before contact are still 1.6. Uh, Nick Chubb, 1.9, which are, you know, right in the middle range. So just a tremendous look there for the Browns. So what I take away from this list is this is looking good for Javante Williams. Um, his attempts per game right now, are at 12. We've seen him and Melvin Gordon, who actually gets in this list with an evasion percentage of 14, tracking uh, six percentage points behind Williams. He gets in this listing. Melvin Gordon right now is at 13 attempts per, attempts per game. So if we can see Williams, or I guess you could say Gordon flip this thing, it's looking like they're showing the ability on the field to make things pretty interesting. Uh, before we get back to any thoughts that you might have just to round this off or follow-ups, there was one more thing that I felt compelled to mention. I am searching my brain to remember what it was, uh, but alas, it uh, eludes me. So anyways, I just went through a lot there. Curtis, any um, any anything that that brought to your mind? Well, first, man, you just uh, you just provided yourself when you listen back to this. If you do a glimpse into the future, a few years down the road, when you're my age and you feel that every day of your life. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, yeah. What show is this again? Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, I, I really love um, breaking down, you know, what's happening, you know, within a play, um, so many different ways in the stats that we have now. So, I mean, we're really talking about what is happening as the play develops and then at the end of the play with all of these stats. So hit at the line. You know, this is mostly um, an offensive line um, and or, you know, QB audible, uh, center audible stat, right? So are you adjusting to what you see from the defensive front, calling the correct play, and then are the guys hitting their assignments? And then everything after that. This is basically, you know, maybe there's a little bit of wide receiver or, you know, a big slot tight end blocking in here, but it's mostly what's the back doing for himself and how does that translate to fantasy points? And it's just really, really exciting to see uh, Javante Williams score so highly in here because he, you know, one way I think to identify, you know, trade targets or, you know, guys who are going to probably end up producing one way or another is, you know, just kind of that, you know, high level analysis of, you know, what does a guy look like within his peer cohort? Like Javante Williams is in there with Austin Eckler, Kareem Hunt, Joe Mixon, and Dalvin Cook. Like, you know, that's where he's probably going to end up from a fantasy perspective. Like we don't see Melvin Gordon up here. Melvin Gordon sandwiched in, you know, with all the other guys that, you know, this basically run of the mill starting NFL running back evasion percentage in the, you know, low uh, teens. Um, there's really only a couple guys that have really proven to be uh, separators in this metric of evasion percentage. And it really stops after Eckler, Hunt, Mixon, Williams, Cook. Um, and you could argue maybe that Gibson and CEH belong in there. And everyone else is just kind of like sandwiched in. Um, so, you know, I think that's, you know, really a harbinger of what we could see uh, from Javante Williams, you know, later in the season. Uh, passing the torch definitely seems appropriate. Uh, so I, you know, I think, you know, him being one of, you know, our main, you know, later round targets, you know, he was on our zero RB list. He was on our must draft list. Um, Sean and I highlighting him, you know, throughout the summer and, uh, 
you know, he was also a guy that showed up very favorably dating all the way back to what feels like eight eons ago, the road of his rookie guide uh, for 2021. Um, so, you know, it's nice to see Williams kind of doing what he did in college, you know, just all over again in the NFL. Um, a couple comments that I have on this list here, though, um, I thought it was really interesting that Saquon Barkley's missed tackle percentage is so much um, it, like if it was a pie chart and we were looking <laughs> at Saquon Barkley's evasion percentage, it's like the piece that I would take of peanut butter cheesecake is his missed tackle percentage. And the piece that like I would give one of my kids is his broken tackle percentage. Um, <laughs> if we were doing this from like a pie chart perspective. And so, you know, maybe, you know, I know he is definitely more, um, you know, agile and shifty for a guy of his size, you know, than, you know, than most prospects. But at the same time, I'm just wondering if this like really maybe describes, um, uh, or is descriptive of a player who, you know, understands that he's still recovering from, in, uh, from injury, you know, maybe he's drying away from, um, some of that contact and maybe there's even more, you know, bigger, better things on the horizon for Saquon. Um, and then also, you know, going back to the CEH, uh, thing, I think it's, uh, worth commenting on, you know, we've seen back to back, uh, triple digit rushing yard performances from CEH, you know, he's, but, you know, as optimistic as you are, you know, I'm still kind of just scratching my head on what, I, what he actually is because, you know, hit at the line at 17% of the time. And he has, you know, better than average evasion rate amongst running backs, but he's just not creating first downs. You know, he's, he ranks extremely low in first down percentage. Um, and, you know, it's still not really translating to like difference making fantasy production. So unless we see, you know, some weather games for Kansas City or, you know, teams figure out how to stop, Tyree Kill in particular, um, and force the Chiefs to deploy Edward Delaire differently, or if their defense improves uh, to the point where they're just running out the clock and just like handing him the ball in the second half. I still think, you know, we're looking at a, a very much a low end fantasy RB1, and I don't see, you know, the big time, you know, 20% win rate back that we had envisioned this summer. Um, but it's a long season, you know, and teams are still figuring it out. You know, Andy Reid teams definitely undergo, you know, metamorphoses as the season progresses. We know we've seen that for the last 20 years with his squad. So uh, good on you for calling that out. We'll continue to kind of monitor that player. And then I think the last name that I will mention here is David Montgomery. Now it's becoming clear that he's going to miss some time. And, you know, how much of this is David Montgomery? Um, I think probably a lot. He has one of the higher hit at the line percentages amongst running backs, you know, on this list. Um, but he also has one of the higher first down uh, percentages amongst back on this list. Will Damian Williams be able to replicate this performance and how will that translate into all of the, you know, free agent uh, auction bids and uh, waiver wire bids uh, that people are going to be um, dumping at Damian Williams across all redraft leagues, uh, probably as people are listening to this. Yeah, I mean, it is going to be very interesting. As you mentioned, a very high hit at the line percentage for David Montgomery, but 3.2 yards after contact. That's the highest out of anybody on this list that I'm looking at besides the two Browns running backs. So that could be hard for Damian Williams to come in and match that production. Having said that, we're often not looking for an 100% replacement from a back that's going to be filling in for somebody. Uh, so, you know, Damian Williams, 
in my mind, I already would not have been expecting to really be like a one for one replacement of David Montgomery at this point. Um, you know, maybe somewhere 80, 85%, which is looking like that could still be pretty useful. Um, but yeah, like, I, I mean, I think the, the point holds there that he's probably not going to be David Montgomery, you know, exactly if you're getting him into your lineup. I would imagine, though, that people are probably going to go after him fairly aggressively, though. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I, uh, you know, for, you know, we could see some weird bids win on Damian Williams uh, for leagues that have their waivers run on Tuesday night. Um, as people still, you know, especially like in home leagues and things like that, where, you know, people, you know, might not be, might not have Google alerts set for everything or, you know, uh, any number of other services, you know, pushing, you know, injury news uh, to you so you don't miss those bids. Um, I think people, you know, might have just put in a bid uh, yesterday, you know, at a low dollar amount and it'll still win. But for all the leagues that have Wednesday waivers that post, I expect Damien Williams to probably be one of the higher uh, higher, if not the highest, um, you know, salaried player, uh, from a, from a waiver, uh, demand perspective, you know, I think, uh, Samaja Pirine, um, obviously is an interesting name as well. I don't think we have the same amount of clarity on the amount of time that Joe Mixon will miss. Um, but I think it's also noteworthy that Joe Mixon's performing extremely well in these metrics. And, you know, perhaps that changes, you know, the makeup of the Bengals offense a little bit. If, if Pirine isn't, um, creating as much, on his own, um, does that force the team to throw a little bit more? Could we see a little bit extra going um, to the third receiver there as T. Higgins returns, and uh, perhaps Joey Burrow can you know uh, prop up more of a supporting cast, or even maybe we see an extended breakout for uh, C.J. Uzoma um, moving forward. And that was really interesting to see you know what he did last Thursday, which again feels like eons ago. Um, so yeah, Dave, <laughs> this this has been great, man. Thanks for running down. Um, you know, these RB analytics, you know, at the quarter pole, we'll have to see what holds, you know, like from a dynasty yeah. perspective, I think our clear t- takeaways, you know, if you're listening with, with that in mind, uh, Javante Williams performing very, very well on the performance metrics hasn't necessarily translated to the fantasy performance, which means, you know, perhaps, um, he is still a, a guy that you can go out and acquire. Um, so I think, you know, knock on the door there, uh, especially if the other owner, you know, maybe, if is in that two and two range, you know, an O and four team is not going to give up on a young player like Javante Williams, but a two and two team that feels like, Hey, I can get production now. I don't know. Add something saucy to Cord- uh, Cordero Patterson and, uh, see, you know, Cordero Patterson in a second for Javante Williams. You know, there's going to be people that take that stuff. Yeah. Absolutely going to be people that take that stuff. So, uh, th- there's that one. And then I think for the, for the guys that, you know, wanted to believe in uh, Antonio Gibson, CEH, Jonathan Taylor, you know, all these uh, premier year two backs uh, to see them performing well. And in your top 10 here, Dave, I think is also a very positive sign. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. And I just wanted to say, these are not the type of things that are necessarily going to tie back to fantasy points. So if you see a player performing well in these, it does not mean that this player is destined to be, you know, a fantasy dynamo, even if they're crushing it in these metrics, because as we've talked about as ad nauseum, a lot of it's going to come down to the actual volume that you're going to get, how good your offense is. Are they giving you quality opportunities? But when you're really trying to dissect things and find small advantages, this is actionable data from on the field that you can use to say, all right, this player is looking like he can cut it at the NFL level. He has a skill set that could be unique and he's a, he has the ability to make plays that other backs might not make. So that's where it comes in to be useful. I, I just want to make that caveat for anybody that goes to the site and checks out the advanced stats explorer and they're looking at this stuff. You know, this is a little bit more granular of an exercise. Um, whereas if you're just looking at fantasy points, you know, for the next two, two, three weeks, you're probably better off looking at expected points or something like that. Yeah, sure. If you're only going to use, uh, you know, one or two screeners, I would totally agree. I think where this can be useful and how I would use this from like a dynasty scouting perspective is really thinking about, okay, as teams continue to watch film and find ways to compete, how do I get my best players on the field? And so, you know, that the running back position coaches, I mean, most teams in the league, I believe, look at some kind of data uh, from this list. Maybe not all of these things, but they're charting their own games. Um, and, you know, they they know who is adding value when they're on the field. And so I just look at this stuff as directional in terms of who might earn more opportunity, um, especially in a backfield that's a little unclear. So like in Denver, when we see Javante Williams adding a little bit more with his opportunities than Melvin Gordon, once he figures out the things that the team wants him to figure out, uh, that, you know, Melvin's adding as a veteran, you know, maybe the, the savvy pickups, blitz pickups, or, you know, uh, adjusting to audibles more quickly or whatever it might be that's getting Melvin Gordon more reps. Uh, you know, it's, it's really favorable, uh, for Javante Williams and his managers, uh, that he's performing well, you know, and has a pure cohort like he does. So let's transition, Dave. I think we've got a generic quick drop that you'd like to hit here. So let's go ahead and hit that. Okay. I'll find out what that is when I listen back. Because uh, again, <laughs> I can't hear the quick drops. Um, so let's head over to the wide receiver position. We're having a just little a bit of technical were... difficulties here. Yeah, it's all right. I was just going to, I was just going to, you know, peel back the curtain. Curtis, you know, I had to, you know, he can't hear the audio tonight. So he's doing his best over in the hosting chair. Uh, but we'll, we'll figure this thing out going forward. You'll be able to hear them. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I appreciate that. So hopefully I didn't talk over the quick drop or leave an awkward pause there, Dave. Um, a couple of wide receivers, though, we haven't talked about very much um, that may be worth highlighting. Um, I think the first is Corey Davis. You know, he's had a couple spike weeks now. Um, you know, what are you seeing in, in terms of his, uh, you know, uh, fantasy maybe leading indicator stats and, and maybe what we should be doing with him in the immediate weeks to follow? Yeah, Corey Davis, man, it's really interesting. Um, player that didn't hit too early on in his career after high expectations. Last season starts to put it together, has transitioned into a team that had a lot of questions, but so far has been playing pretty well, surprising some people. So at this point, he's averaging 12.3 expected per points per game. The GLSP likes him this week. It's picked up on him now for a couple of weeks. Some of that comes from the fact that he's seeing 7.2 targets per game. He actually ranks 20th in the fewest routes per target, which means that he does not have to run a lot of routes to see a target, uh, which is an important factor when you're looking at things that would signal his opportunity is going to continue. He's actually seeing one target for every 3.6 routes. He's tied for fourth in intended air yards per route. And then also a pretty interesting thing is once he's catching the ball, uh, he's showing some skill too. He's 10th in evasion percentage among wide receivers. At this point, he has two wide receiver one performances. He's also in the top 12 of wide receivers that have seen 20 or more targets this year in catchable percentage at 83%, which is really interesting because if you're concerned about Zach Wilson and how that could impact Corey Davis moving forward, that's a very respectable catchable percentage thrown to an individual receiver. So you got to like that. Then uh, just kind of a fun thing too, 62 defensive pass interference yards drawn by Davis at this point, ranks second among wide receivers. So those are a lot of really interesting numbers for Davis. And I am not going to go on a limb and say that he's going to be the type of wide receiver that is going to win you your league if you were to say make a move and acquire him. But I think that if there are managers in your league that aren't fit paying full attention to how Corey Davis has managed to be pretty successful to this point, you might be able to get him for a price that isn't overly steep. And it does look like there's reason to believe this could continue for Davis. I never thought that mid season we'd spend so much time on CD, but that's a CD that's not CD lamb. Um, but Corey Davis is actually uh, out producing uh, CD lamb. So, um, you know, I, I want to harken back to what you said with the GLSL, uh, GLSP app as well. Um, the Jets draw the Falcons. And so maybe Corey Davis is on your roster and you're like, man, I've missed his big weeks every time. And is this a start or sit week? This is a start week. This is definitely a start week. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm in our NFL stat explorer right now and just looking at what opposing wide receiver ones have been doing to the Falcons. And it is like, it's the type of movie that you don't like let your kids watch until they're a certain age. I mean, that's what's happening um, against the Falcons secondary. It is bad. Um, so to, so here, let's just run it down very quickly. Devontae Smith, in his first game as a professional football player, 671 and a touchdown for 19.1 PPR. Uh, in week two, 
They allow a 575 with two touchdown line to Mike Evans for 24 and a half PPR. Uh, they play the lowly Giants um, in the vanilla Jason Garrett offense, and the top performer there is Kenny Galladay um, with just 64 yards. But then last week, Terry McLaurin, F1, 13 targets, six receptions, 123 yards, and two touchdowns for 30.3. I mean, seeing these games from, you know, in three out of four weeks and, and how it lines up with um, what could happen in this game. I mean, this game has a, a total, you know, in the, the mid to high 40s. Um, I could see that potentially even rising throughout the week. And then if you date back five games uh, and you go back to week 17 of last season, Antonio Brown also hung a two-touchdown game on them with 11 receptions for 138 yards. So four out of the last five regular season weeks, this defense has been absolutely roasted. Um, so I could see big game for, for, uh, Corey Davis and, or Jameson Crowder. And if, if Corey Davis is like in that flex rotation, or you know, maybe you have some injury that you're dealing with or some frustration uh, with other players, he's a guy that you got to sneak in there. So this is how our tools kind of align. Um, you can go back and check the historical performances of players like Corey Davis in similar games in the GLSP app, but then you can go over to the NFL stat explorer and see specifically what people have been doing against the Falcons and just gets really exciting. Yeah, for sure. So fully on board there with those thoughts on Davis. All right. So let's talk about another, I, I, I kind of view these guys, you know, somewhat similar, not necessarily in terms of pedigree, but in terms of like being a bigger bodied receiver who doesn't really get me super excited athletically, uh, you know, but potentially, you know, are, you know, they're, they're like fantasy wide receiver ones, at least for their team. And that makes a matter for fancy purposes. So let's talk about the year two potential phenom and Michael Pittman over in Indianapolis, Dave. Yeah. So this is another uh, interesting case of a player we didn't talk too much about. Now, at this point, this player has one wide receiver two performance, has not logged any other wide receiver two or wide receiver one performances, but has seen 15.8 expected points per game, which is 17th among wide receivers. As you mentioned, Michael Pittman acting as the wide receiver one on his team with a market share of 26%. He's actually 12th among wide receivers in Whopper, 15th in routes run. So the volume is there, hasn't managed to be overly efficient yet, but he has two good matchups coming up uh, in his next four games. So if you're looking for a player that has this point hasn't really put things together, but there are some indicators that, uh, you know, greener grass is on the horizon. It could be Michael Pittman. Of course, um, I don't like him as much as I do Davis, despite him having more expected points at this point, because we have seen Davis put things together now for a stretch of time on two teams. But these are pretty interesting numbers. Like I said, um, if you're looking for leading indicators of a player that has yet to realize tremendous success on the season. Yeah, I like mentioning Michael Pittman here too because I think he's a player that if if his owners haven't already given up on him as managers, uh, this might be a week where they're like, man, I got to go make a bid on Damian Williams or Samaj Piran or even Jameson Crowder, uh, pretty widely available, and he popped last week. I could see them looking at this Baltimore Ravens matchup coming in week five and being like, there is no 
way. <laughs> and and there and to be clear, I think there probably is no way. The Ravens have been just a total death knell to opposing wide receivers dating back to last season. There's no way you start them, even though they're going to have a trailing game script. It's just bad process. Uh, however, if you look at the next four weeks in totality, and Dave mentioned there's two positive matchups coming, if I hop over to the strength of schedule streaming app, uh, Indianapolis, Indianapolis Colts, the strength of their two positive matchups, despite the poor matchup with Baltimore this week, actually um, rates them as the fourth best uh, fantasy schedule for their wide receiver position over the next four weeks. So in week six, they draw Houston. And in week eight, they draw Tennessee. Those would be weeks where you could use them. And, you know, if you're trying to think, okay, how do I cover my bye weeks, you know, et cetera, um, you do start to see some bye weeks pop up and be problematic in week seven and eight in particular. Um, of course, I'm calling out six uh, and eight as the opportunities to start. In week six, uh, Miami, not sure that we're starting a lot of their wide receivers with, uh, or excuse me, San Francisco. If you're a Debo Samuel owner looking to replace that production, you know, maybe Michael Pittman is a sneaky ad. Uh, we also see the Atlanta Falcons. So if you're uh, Calvin Ridley manager, the New York Jets actually as well. So if you have Corey Davis, maybe you cover him up with Michael Pittman in week six. Then you hop over to week eight. Uh, if you are a loss, Vegas Raiders uh, wide receiver manager. You got Henry Ruggs. You've been rolling him out there. Even Hunter Renfro. Uh, Sean and I both have been rolling him out in some of our dynasty teams. And then uh, also the, uh, let's see, the Baltimore Ravens have a week eight bye as well. So those Hollywood Brown uh, managers, and you know who you are. You are my brothers and sisters for sure. Um, you could use Michael Pittman uh, to cover up that bye week for Hollywood. Yeah, that, that's a great point. You know, we oftentimes are thinking about players that can make a huge, substantial impact, but getting through those bye weeks can get really dicey sometimes. Uh, so, you know, it's always worthwhile keeping, you know, keeping a list of guys that you might be able to use to cover that, that section of time for you, for your team. All right. So I don't know if we have some sort of like hazard sound effect that we could play here. I'll give you a pause if you want to try to find one or maybe just something that's total opposite. No, but I there's have. a couple of players. Okay. Did you we can't get hear, it? but there's, there's alarms going right now. There's okay, panic. great. Well, Dave, listen, as we bring this episode to a close, is it time to panic on Miles Gaskin and Allen Robinson? I mean, these are two, these are two players that it's just not going right. It's, it's going wrong for different reasons, uh, but it's definitely not going right. Um, do you have a positive outlook for either one of these players? And if so, you know, what's driving that, um, what's that, what's driving that counterculture opinion at this point? Well, I can say that, uh, I do not have an overly positive outlook for either of these players. Uh, unfortunately, Curtis, um, and it's, I would say worse for Robinson than it is for Gaskin at this point. Uh, the thing that I'm going to be focusing mostly on here when I'm determining if I need to panic on these players is looking at their expected points. Uh, and also in the case of Robinson looking at target volume, you know, we've seen two games for him already this year where he had week two against Cincinnati, four targets, just week three, or excuse me, week four, just three targets against Detroit. That is not what you want to see when you're playing a defense like that, that has been so forgiving against the pass. Just 6.1 expected points that week. His highest point total 
on the season from an expected points perspective with 16.9, which came against the Rams in week one since just 7.5, 10 and 6.1 for a player that some people might've taken in the fourth round. This just isn't going to cut it. We're still unclear on what's going on in the quarterback situation. There looks like apparently when Andy Dalton is healthy, it's going to be Andy Dalton. I don't think that bodes well. If you have Justin Fields coming in, that's not going to bode well. Cause for whatever reason, the team doesn't really want to let him uh, cook in the way that one might hope he would from a fantasy perspective or from a, uh, you know, using his arm perspective. So that is no good for Allen Robinson. I think it's time to panic. And then in the case of Gaskin, it's a little tough to to determine what to do here because he had two rushing attempts against Indy. That may have been a fluke prior to that was under 10 twice, but he was still seeing more like five or more targets. Every game had zero against the Colts. So in comparison to where you might've drafted him, I think it's still possible that you see him as like an eight, nine, 10, 11 point per game player. Um, but I still think that that would be enough that you might want to panic. You know, he was kind of one of those poster boys uh, running back dead zone guys this year. And unfortunately, it's looking like he is going to end up having been properly uh, included in that grouping and was not one of those players that could overcome it. I know that that you have, I believe, you have liked Gaskin as I had in the past. I don't know. Do you have a more positive spin on this than I do? I, I don't think, like, if we're looking at the full season that I can in good conscience, like recommend Gaskin as like a, a buy target or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if, you know, he could potentially get cut in, in sh- uh, shallow bench league. So I do think he would be worth um, a waiver bid in that instance. Um, the Dolphins could have a, a couple of really positive matchups um, from a running back fantasy perspective coming up in week six and seven against the Jaguars, uh, the Jaguars and the Atlanta Falcons. Um, and so, you know, I think he would be worth rostering, you know, just for those games and, you know, see if he can get it right. Maybe get some positive momentum going. Um, I definitely totally agree with you on Allen Robinson, like of the two players, I mean, a, you know, you invested more, but B it's just, it really is just total full panic mode. I'm looking through week 11. Okay. So we're talking like the material portion of the rest of the fantasy season, right? We're like almost to playoff time. And the Chicago Bears have the fourth most difficult wide receiver schedule from a fantasy perspective over the next seven weeks. Um, That's brutal. And he's got a buy in there, too. (laughs) I mean, it's just brutal. Like, the only, like, quote-unquote favorable matchup that he has is Week 7 against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, like, I know that some teams have been producing um, some, you know, some, uh, you know, passing uh, yardage and passing base fantasy production against them. But I still don't really ever feel good about starting players against Tampa Bay. Like they're still at the end of the day, they're a good defense. They have a ferocious front seven and the way that the bears quarterbacks have been playing, they're just going to get absolutely terrorized. I don't think it's going to necessarily lead. Um, it's necessarily going to lead to a lot of production. I think it could definitely lead to a lot of um, targets, but not necessarily, um, you know, successful ones. So um, I, I would definitely be a proponent of, trying to move Allen Robinson on, on name brand value to the bears fan in your league or to somebody who's absolutely desperate. It doesn't have any name, name brand, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, wide receivers on his or her roster. 
uh, that that would definitely be an actionable takeaway. Gaskin's not somebody that you really probably can move for anything, but I think it makes sense to hold for three more weeks if you can afford to because of those upcoming positive matchups. And with that, Dave, I think it takes us to the end of the episode. Is there anything else that you want to add? No, um, I have a couple more thoughts, but uh, you know what? I think we've said all we need to say on those guys, um, so we can uh, we can move on. And I am uh, pumped to get back into things later in the week as we will start to look forward to another slate of games. <laughs> <laughs>